Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook Church. We are so glad that you are here this morning. And I just want to stop for a second because I tell you, we cram a lot of stuff into about an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday, don't we? <laughs> it's amazing uh, how fast this morning goes. And I just want to stop for a second and just kind of just relish where God has been at work. Isn't that amazing? Did you hear 24 kids gave their lives to Christ? That is just huge, isn't it? And I saw that last picture was all the people that were serving and leading, and I am just so grateful for the way that God went before us in our Jerusalem. You know, Acts 1.8 is our theme verse for Springbrook. We're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us, and we're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And it was so exciting to see the Spirit of God at work in our home church, in our body of Christ, and in our community. And that's our Jerusalem and our Judea. We are called to reach this community for Christ, and it was so exciting to be able to see um, where God was at work in that way. And then today, at the end of the service, we're going to be commissioning our missions team. And so we're going to South Carolina to serve people that are experiencing brokenness, that are in need, that are without homes. And, uh, you know, that's our Samaria. And so we're going out to the other parts uh, of our nation to serve others uh, for Christ. And when we get back, we're going to have a missions update for you for some exciting things that are happening uh, with the Timothy Initiative and in India, and that's our ends of the earth. And so it's so exciting for me to be able to see where the Spirit of God is at work in every aspect of our ministry. And so it's fun sometimes uh, just to stop and recognize that. It is really an important part of our DNA. And so when I came up on the stage this morning, I thought, well, this is kind of appropriate. You know, this is the DNA of our church, Acts 1-8. And so we might have to leave those up there for a couple weeks. Michelle was trying to figure out how to take those down after VBS. And I thought, you know what? Let's celebrate VBS. Let's talk about the DNA of what God has for us in this church. And let's just stop and relish and celebrate that. And then you, you think about our worship team. You know, uh, we had Cole Howell. This was, uh, Cole is going to be going off to college soon. And he's going to be leading worship on his college campus. And so we've got a child that has come up in our children's ministry. That has been invested in our children's ministry. It's been a part of our youth ministry under MAP that we are sending out into the world to be salt and light. And so God is at work in our ministry and our worship team, and it is just fun uh, to be a part of what God's doing, isn't it? And so we just want to celebrate that. We are in a series. We're working through the book of Malachi. And if uh, you're new with us this morning, uh, Malachi is an Old Testament prophet. He is the last prophet that would speak in the Old Testament before God would go silent for 400 years uh, before Christ. And so we've been looking through the lessons that Malachi has for us uh, that we can apply to our lives as the church as he spoke to the people of Israel in his time. You know, Israel had had the uh, temple was destroyed. Uh, the Babylonians came in, they knocked everything, they wiped everything out. The temple has been rebuilt. And, uh, and now God's people are coming back together. And uh, they're doing a lot of things right. You know, they are uh, focused on uh, being obedient. Um, they are, you know, they got the temple rebuilt, and they're trying to get their lives back on track. Uh, but in, through this process, we see that they still just kind of keep missing the boat with, their, with regard to their relationship with God. And so Malachi is trying to confront that and help them work on, hey, look, things are going great, but you need to work on your relationships. So last week we saw where they needed to work on the relationships with one another. Um, they had been engaged in building relationships with people that did not share their faith in their culture. And so they were connecting to people that did not have a relationship uh, with God. And so Malachi says, look, you need to make sure that you don't be influenced by people that don't share your faith. You need to better relate to one another. You need to better relate 
um, to God's people. And then he said, you need to work on your relationships within your context of your family. And so divorce was rampant. And so the Israelites, in spite of the fact that things are going well, still haven't figured out the relationship component of who they've called to be. And so this morning we're going to look at Malachi at the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3, and we're going to see that Malachi is saying, hey, look, you need to focus on your relationship with your creator, with a God that loves you. You know, they are looking around at the injustice of their communities. They're looking around at uh, others prospering. They've built this temple, and now they're waiting for God to show up. But they're looking around saying, well, how come God's not doing something miraculous in my life? And they become bitter because they see God doing things in the lives of the people around them, but they're not experiencing blessing from their perspective like they were expecting. And so they start accusing God of being an unjust God. You know, they accuse him of being unjust. They accuse him of, um, you know, finding joy in the wickedness of the lives of other people. And uh, they start to become bitter and complaining against God, and, and Malachi confronts them on that. I think to a certain extent, you know, we can fall into that same kind of a trap. We can fall into that category where we're looking around and going, God, where are you in this? Why isn't this happening? Why are my expectations being met with regard to what I feel is just? We can fall into that trap very easily as well. I was listening to uh, uh, a song that one of my daughters was playing uh, yesterday. And so I was listening to the song, and it was kind of catchy. I thought, who, who is that? She told me who it was. And I was like, wow, you're listening to that? It's not a bad song. But, you know, I, I knew a little bit about the singer. Uh, she's only 26 years old. She's very popular. Um, she's uh, very disrespectful. She's vulgar. And I've seen her in the news a lot. She had a good song. But, you know, part of me is thinking, wow, hang on a second. How can somebody that is vulgar, disrespectful, this young, be prospering? Her net worth is $160 million. And so I was thinking about, you know, the injustices that we face today. I'm thinking, how can somebody like that be making that much money? And then, you know, here's, you know, Pastor Rich over here. I'm thinking, you know, could you just throw maybe a little bit my way? <laughs> I don't want her $60 million, but, you know, $10,000 would be nice. I mean, so we, we, we compare ourselves to people around us, and, and this sense of injustice settles in when we see other people that, in, from, from a biblical perspective, are wicked, but yet they're prospering. And here we are, we're, we're working our faith out, we're trying to, you know, please God, and sometimes we wonder, well, God, how come you're not in this? You know, we see injustice around us, and we all fall temptation to the sense of injustice with the lives of people around us. There was a gentleman named uh, Robert Bowers. He was 46 years old. Uh, he walked into a Jewish synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh at the end of last year, and he killed 11 people. And uh, he injured six people, including police officers. And uh, he survived the battle uh, with the police. Uh, he was taken into custody, but he was transported uh, to a local hospital, to Allegheny Hospital, uh, where they were treating him for his gunshot wounds. And so when they got to the hospital, uh, there was a team waiting there to save this man's life. We'd just taken 11 people's lives. And one of the members on the team that was there to, uh, to help him was a man named Ari Mailer. Ari Mailer. Ari was Jewish. He knew people in that synagogue. And he was not just Jewish by race, but also by faith. In fact, his father was a rabbi. 
And so they reeled uh, Robert Bowens into the hospital, and while they're wheeling him in, he's still screaming at the top of his voice how much he wants to kill Jews. And then, uh, you know, Ari comes up as the head trauma nurse. Are you Jewish? I don't want any help from you. And so he's screaming about wanting to kill Jews, and then you've got Ari standing there trying to help this man. Now let me ask you this. If you were Ari, what would you be tempted to do? You don't want my help? I can fix that. (laughs) I don't even smoke, but I'm going to go take a smoke break. You know, how easy would it be for somebody to, to just walk away from the injustice of a situation. You know, Ari would go on to write a blog post, and I'm going to share a little bit about that a little bit later. But, you know, it's interesting to think about how he had to wrestle through having to help somebody in need that had just taken the lives of some of his friends and some of the people of his faith and who was actually, you know, making racial slurs against him. Where is the justice in that? Well, those are the same kinds of things that Malachi is addressing when he talks to the Israelites, moving into the end of chapter 2, beginning of chapter 3. And if you brought your Bibles with you, you can turn with me there. Um, if you uh, use the Version Bible app, you can go to uh, events. Uh, you can search Springbrook, and I've got our passages outlined uh, there this morning. Or you can uh, just listen along with me. If you want to use, you can go to uh, springbrook.org slash notes. I'll take you right there as well. But at the end of Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 33, Malachi says this. Speaking to the Israelites, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? He says, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord who you seek will come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner in the purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He will refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And so this morning we're going to look at this passage and we're going to look about what is justice from God's perspective as it relates not just to how we feel about what God's doing around us, but in our own lives as well. Let's pray as we begin to open this passage up. Father, I just want to thank you that you are a God of justice. I know that in our own lives, when we look around, we see uh, injustice all around us, and uh, we wonder where you are. God, help us to have eyes to see where you are at work. God, I thank you for your faithfulness in the past, in the present, and help us to be able to trust you with our future. God, increase our faith as we approach this passage today and look about where we can find justice in the most unusual circumstances around us and in our own lives. And we lift our time up to you in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing that Malachi says to the Israelites is that you have wearied the Lord's with your words. He says that in verse 2. You have wearied the, the Lord 
with your words. And not worried in a sense that, wow, God's got more than he can handle, but worried in a sense that, wow, are you still complaining? I mean, God has been listening to the Israelites complain, and he's been worried. He's not tired, worn out, but he is tired of their complaining. And they say, how have we worried him? He said, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of injustice? And so there's two ways that we worry the Lord when it comes to this topic of justice. And the first way that we worry him is with our speech. We worry him with our speech. And then the second way is that we worry him with our tone and with our hearts. You know, we worry him with our speech first. He says, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. That's an accusation that they are making against God. They're looking around at all the things that are going on around this, and they're thinking, wow, why is God not doing us something about that? You know, he must think that evil is good and find delight in that. And so when we complain, when we talk down to God in that way, when we, we blame him for not doing something about a specific circumstance, when we accuse him of being unjust, we are wearying him because we are actually accusing him of finding delight in evil. And that's not the case. We need to be careful that we guard our speech, especially when we're talking to other people about the injustices that we see around us. God is faithful. He is just. And if we're not careful, this kind of language can really have an effect on how we perceive God to be in a, in, a, in, a, in a dangerous way. It's dangerous for us to be accusing God of doing something that we know is not true. God does not find delight in evil. We might not be able to make sense of what he's doing, but to accuse God of finding delight in evil is dangerous. And it's dangerous because when we change that perspective, then all of a sudden we start to think to ourselves, well, if he's not going to have a problem with them, maybe he's not going to have a problem with me doing it. And so what ends up happening is as we start normalizing sin, we start normalizing bad behavior and justifying our, be- our behavior because, well, if he's not going to do anything about that, he must not have a problem with me doing it. And that's where our society is headed today. Modern social righteousness is going to differ from the righteousness that we find in Scripture. And so we have to evaluate our lives based on what we find in Scripture. We cannot justify our behaviors and look at what's going on around us and try to make sense of that in light of our culture. Ernest Hemingway in his book, uh, Death in the Afternoon, I found this, que- uh, this quote, it's in question, but the quote is, is completely accurate of what we would find in our society. It says this, so far about morals. I only know that what is moral is what you feel good after, and what is immoral is what you feel bad after. You see the danger in that. The danger in that is that saying, hey, if I feel good about it, then it must be okay. If I feel good about it and God's not doing something about it, then it must be okay. And that is not accurate. That is a lie that others would have you believe. When we start moving out based on our feelings and we move the reality of what we find in Scripture, we start to see a decline in our own lives and the lives of people around us. Our culture does not get to define what is good and what is evil, and we should not let them influence what we know to be true and not true about God. You know, they are questioning God's 
faithfulness. You know, they're questioning God. And our standards need to be different than what we find in our community. And when we don't guard our speech, we run the risk of being on a slippery slope of where we would find God's justice. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so we need to guard our speech. We worry God when we don't guard our speech. The other way that we worry God is with our tone, with our words, and with our hearts. You know, tone is a reflection of what's on our hearts. You know, I saw some kids that had made some events and some crafts last week, and one of them came running up to me and, and showed me their craft. And I looked down, and I thought, oh, that looks really nice. That looks really pretty. Oh, yeah, that looks really pretty. And so that's a tone that conveys a genuine sense of, I really like that. Can you imagine what my tone, had, if it had been something like, oh, yeah, that, that looks really pretty. And so tone is a reflection of what's on our hearts. And so when the Israelites are not only challenging God's justice, but it's the tone of where they're asking the question, where is the God of justice? They're not asking from the perspective of they really want to know where the God of justice is. The tone of their hearts is that, so where is the God of justice in this? Why isn't he doing something about that? And so their hearts before God are wrong. You know, they're making accusations against God. And they're wrong. Their hearts before God are wrong. But even in the midst of this conversation that, uh, that the people are having with Malachi and with God, even in the midst of this, I love the fact that God gives them an answer. <laughs> right? I mean, in the midst of our crying out and our pain and our suffering and going, why? God still answers us. And so they've worried God, you know, but he gives them an answer. I love that about God. It doesn't matter what's going on in our life doesn't matter what we're seeing or what we're feeling. We can go to God, and he will answer us, and he answers us through his word. And that's what happens with the Israelites, with Malachi, as we move into chapter 3. They've worried God with his words. They've asked him these questions. Where is justice? And God gives them an answer. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord's of hosts. And so this is how God answers their questions. In the midst of all this, this is how he answers their question. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they want to know where the answer is. And, and, and this is the answer. And you have to look at this passage for a little bit to, to find out where the answer is. You know, what God is saying is he says, it's found in me. You know, he said, I am a just God. I am the one that's going to send a messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And, and the messenger of the covenant is coming. And so that's God's answer to this justice problem. I've got a solution. I'm going to send a messenger. He's going to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. That's the answer to that question. I'm going to send a messenger in he. So the messenger and the he are who God's going to send. And then he's going to prepare the way before me. And so it's almost as God's saying, I'm going to send a messenger. 
and he's going to prepare the way before me. But then he backs up and he says, oh, and this Lord that you seek is going to come into his temple. And so the short of the answer of this, just to save the suspense that's riveting you, is that he's talking about John the Baptist. I'm going to send John the Baptist. He's going to prepare a way before me. And then the Lord whom you seek is going to be Jesus. And so Jesus says, I and the Father am one. And so you see the, the beauty of the Trinity at work here. If I had to explain anything in the Bible differently, it would be the Trinity. I have, you have to wrestle through how to explain that to people. But we have one God existing as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see Jesus and the Father at work here as the solution for where we find injustice. I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to prepare the way before me. That's what it says in, you read through the book of uh, Matthew. You know, in Isaiah 43, Three, it says this, a voice is calling, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. So when Malachi is talking about sending somebody before me, he's talking about John the Baptist, and he's going to clear the way for Jesus Christ. Our Lord, our Messiah, our Savior, the one who sits at the throne of David, the one that you're seeking is suddenly going to come into the temple, and it's in him that you're going to find the answer to your question, where is justice? In Mark chapter 1, it opens up with the good news about Jesus Christ. He says this about John the Baptist. It is written in the prophet Isaiah, quoting that passage from Isaiah, looking to this passage of Micah. I'm going to send my my messenger before your face, who's going to prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make way the way of the Lord. He's going to set your path straight. John the Baptist was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. And it is in Jesus Christ that we most vividly see God's justice, especially when we see him take on the sins of the world. Everything that we see going on around us, all the injustice of the world, Christ has taken that on himself through his death on the cross. And it's most vividly in Christ that we find God's answer to the question about where is justice. Justice is found in Christ. You know, I was with my girls. Uh, my dad had his 80th birthday celebration yesterday. It was a surprise birthday party. So we drove down Friday. We spent the night. We went to his party. And then we, got, we had drove, drove back home. And so I got home last night about 11 o'clock. And so the girls were in the car with me, captive for two days. There's a special blessing for the children of a pastor. I'm so sorry, girls. I got to the end. We got down there. I was like, Dad, can we please take a break? I was like, no, I want to know. You're the next generation of the church. How do you answer this question? So for 11 hours, the poor girls, it was actually, they shut me down after about, two o'clock, after about two hours. But the question was that I posed to them is, where do you see injustice in the world? And this next generation sees it in the relationships between each other, with themselves. They see it in, their, in our culture. They see it with kids with families with the loss of life and so we shared a lot of places where they saw injustices and so we had a good conversation about where we saw injustice and so we were processing through this passage and we're talking about the fact that God's answer to the solution where is injustice is found in Christ and at the end of the conversation there was silence and it was like okay you know we had just seen the news of video footage from the man and his child that was swimming across the border to get to the United States, and they both drowned. And so, you know, my kids saw that, and they were asking, where's the justice in that? You know, I told them a little bit about the story about the, the, uh, the man who killed 11 Jews and then was getting treated by a Jewish nurse, and where's the justice in that? Somebody's trying to save his life. He just killed somebody. Where, where's the justice in the situation of the things that are going on around us? 
is Jesus enough in those things? Can you look at a situation in your life and say, this is just not fair, and know that Jesus is enough? Is Jesus enough for us when we struggle with trying to find justice in situations? Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Jesus is the solution. And it was interesting because that was where the challenge lies. Is Jesus enough to help me to make sense of this situation in our life? But the other interesting dynamic of that was, as we processed through that together, and as I kind of thought about this in my own life, was I'm grateful that Jesus was enough for my life. <laughs> you know, I, it was interesting because we were processing through this issue with, you know, with my family, and the girls were just having a good time with it. I was having a good time. They were hanging in there. They were troopers. It was funny because um, I came to a stop sign, and when I came to a stop, I just I kind of rolled it a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just broke the law. And so I was like, wow, I'm accountable for that. You know, where's, where's the justice, and how come he got to run the stop sign and, and he didn't? You know, then my, my daughter said, yeah, when that happened to me, I got pulled over and I got a ticket. She got a warning, but she got pulled over from running a stop sign. So I was like, well, where's the injustice in that? And so then we, we were taking turns driving, and, and uh, you know, you're driving 70 miles an hour down the, illust- down the interstate, and all of a sudden it's 55 miles an hour. Well, you got to come to, you got to slow down, right? You know, I didn't slow down. And so I'm slowly slowing down, but it's not like I'm going to slam on the brakes to get to a 55, and sure enough, I'm going 69, 65, and I'm flowing into this. I am breaking the law. And so I said to the girls, I just broke the law. In fact, when I moved from Texas, it was funny because there was a, it was a police officer sitting right on the other side of a 45-mile-an-hour speed limit zone, and I came 55. The second I passed into that sign, he got me on the other side of that for going like 54 and 45. I got a ticket for that. I broke the law. You're breaking the law if you're going 56 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. Now, you can say, this is Illinois, we've got the floor traffic, you know, I grew up with the floor traffic law. You can justify that however you want, but you are, in fact, breaking the law if you're going 56 miles an hour in a 55. That's the standard for which God holds us accountable to his word. That is our standard. And Romans 3.23 says we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. We're all going to miss it. We have God's word to show us where we're falling short. And so if you don't think you're falling short, then all you got to do is read a couple passages and it'll show you really quick. In fact, in 1 John it says, if you don't think you have sin, you just sin. <laughs> you know, we're all messed up. We're all, we all fall short and we are all in need of, of God's favor. I want justice when it's for them. One of the kids finally said to me, well, what do you think justice is? And I thought, well, justice is what I think everybody else deserves. <laughs> when I have a problem with it. But I don't want that on myself. Well, why not? You're breaking the law. You're break- I mean, I have to, I have to, I have to you know, God, show me where there's areas in my life that I need to turn over to your care and control. I am in need of God's mercy, and I am also going to be the object of God's wrath. Apart from who I am in Christ, I'm going to feel the fullness of that. You know, when Christ comes, he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead, and we all are going to be subject to that. We're all messy. This is bad. That is bad. Where's this? This. Well, guess what? God's standard is perfection, and we all fall short of that. Verse 2 says this, that he who comes is going to come, he's going to establish this new covenant, 
Who can endure the day of his coming? Who's going to be able to endure Christ's coming? Nobody. We can't endure that on our own. Who can stand when he appears? Nobody. Because God's standard is perfection. But he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. And so one of the benefits that we have today as we look at this passage from Malachi is we can look forward to who we are in Christ, knowing that if Christ were to return, I'm going to be subject to that judgment as well. Praise God for who I am in Christ. He is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. We are all a work in progress. God is working out details in our life. We want justice and we want it today. We want it in their lives, not necessarily in ours. I don't see a lot of people walking, you know, walking around talking about, I did this and I demand justice on myself. <laughs> but the reality is, is that when we stand before God, there's going to be judgment. And so we get so worried about things out there, we forget what's in here. God is working out his plan in our lives. And in verse 3, it would go on to say this. He will sit as a refiner in a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold, and bring their offerings into, with righteousness into the Lord. And so God is a, he's a refiner's fire. So we're, we're, we're being pressured, we're being cooked, we're being molded. He's like uh, the soap is the soap of lye where they used to scrub the sheep. And so God is working in our lives. He's cleansing us. He's conforming us. He's molding us. He's, he's purifying us. And those things take time. We want justice and we want it immediately. But we need to know, we need to trust that God's got a plan and there's going to be justice. It's maybe deferred from your perspective, but God is not blind to the things that are going on around us. There's going to be a reckoning. And we may or may not get to experience that or see it, but you can trust that there is going to be a reckoning. And in the meantime, God is refining us and purifying us, and it takes time. Have you ever seen them purify gold? They heat it, and all the junk rises to the top, and they scrape it off. They heat it some more, and they scrape it off. We are being refined like gold and silver as Christ accomplishes the work that he wants us to accomplish. And it takes time. Justice does not happen immediately all the time. I praise God for when it does. I had an opportunity to sit on the grand jury for um, McHenry County uh, several months ago, and uh, you're listening to all these cases, and um, you know the prosecutor is presenting evidence, and the police officers are showing up, and you're listening to all these cases, and you know, they're making their case, and the police officers are sharing evidence, and then they look at the grand jury, and they say, hey, is it okay if we prosecute this? And every one of us is like, yeah, why not? So sometimes we, get the, sometimes we get the benefit of seeing justice played out immediately. You know, in, uh, in Romans 13, it says that all authority, speaking of governing authorities, is under God's purview. And so I'm grateful that we have a, a system, flawless, no, imperfect, no. You know, we have a system, though, that is in place to help us with some of the immediate justice needs. But you know what? At the end of the day, Ultimately, justice is going to be found only in Christ. We can't rely on our fallen and broken world to define for us what is right and what is wrong and what is just and what is not. We have to turn to God's word. In the meantime, it applies to our own lives as well as as we are being conformed to the image of his son and becoming to be more Christ-like. You know, Romans 13.23 has given us the governing authorities and so we can experience justice today, but, but sometimes we just have to wait on what God wants us 
to accomplish. In Mark 6, 34, it says that when Jesus came out, he saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. And so when we see injustices in our world, we should have compassion on those people. It's hard. You know, Ari um, Mailer wrote the post from a Jewish perspective about his wrestling about whether or not to treat the person that just killed the 11 Jews. And so he said in my heart, he said, uh, I had to show compassion on him. That's who God's called me to be. That's the responsibility that I've been giving. I'm, I am his charge nurse, and I have to care for him, and I have to do what's right. And that wasn't even because of who he was in Christ, but it was because he had a moral compass that was based on God's word. And so, you know, how much more are we that are in Christ called to show compassion in sometimes the most unjust situations? Jesus looked down at that crowd, and he was moved with compassion from them. Even, even better than that, Luke 23, Jesus is hanging on the cross. I mean, talk about an injustice. What did I do? <laughs> hanging on a cross with nails driven in his hands if he looks down on them and says what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, when we look at the injustice in the world around us, you know, it's easy for us to blame God. It's easy to you know, worry God's with our words. But we've been called to live a life that's different than that. We know because of who we are in Christ, we're going to face the same judgment they are. We know ultimately that Christ is going to return and there's going to be a reckoning. And so these are opportunities when we see injustices really to share and to, to share light into a, a dark situation. To like Jesus, look at the crowds and have compassion on them. Or like Jesus, hanging on the cross to say, forgive them, they don't know what you're doing. And praise God, that same is extended to us. In Ephesians 2, 4, it says, you have been saved by grace. We're imperfect. We're fallen. We're broken. There's injustices, I'm sure, that you would see in my life. There's injustices that other people see when we look at other people's lives. But when we stop and we evaluate ourselves from God's perspective and we understand who we are in Christ, and we understand the fullness of what we've been forgiven, how can we not help but to be able to be salt and light for people around us? And so I want to encourage you this morning. You might be going through something and you might be thinking, I just don't know what to make sense of this. You know, you need to know that God is a just God. In verse 5, he says this, I'm going to draw near to you for the judgment. There's, I'm going to be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers. I'm going to take care of this against those who swear falsely. He'd go on to say, against those who oppress the hired worker and the wages, the widow, the, fa- the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. For those that don't fear me, there's going to be a reckoning. But because of who we are in Christ, we do not need to fear. There's going to be a judgment. We're going to stand before God. And because of who we are in Christ, we don't have to fear that judgment. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, Today is the day that you're going to want to know more about how to do that. Because Jesus Christ is going to return. God is faithful. He is just. His justice requires a payment for wrongs. And that's been fully absorbed by who we are in Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, you can say, hey, when this judgment comes, I want to make sure I'm right with you. You can ask Christ into your life. He will change you. He'll make you new. He'll start conforming you to the likeness of his son. Your life will change. And you'll be able to walk in faith without fear of the Lord. You know, I ask people all the time, do you know where you're going when you die? And I hear all, all the time, 
I think, I think, I think, if you are not ironclad for certain in your mind this morning, where you're going when you die, the solution is found in Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by works. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to lose it. It's because of who we are in Christ that we can stand before him. And it's then that we're able to experience fully his faithfulness, his justice. If you'd like to know more about that, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you. I pray that you're encouraged this morning, today, that in spite of your circumstances, in spite of what's going on in your life, what's going on in our community, what's going on in our country, that you can stand firm knowing that God is, in fact, in control. He is a just God. He cares about you. He wants a relationship with you. And he's here to see you through it. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you that you are, in fact, a just and fair God. I know we get worn down. I know this world, you know, we talked last week about the salmon. It's like water pushing against us, and we're trying to get upstream, and there's so many things that work against us, God, that I pray that you would strengthen our faith so that we can stand firm in the face of the adversity, in the face of the injustices that we see in the world, knowing that you are in control, and you are just, and you are fair. God, give us wisdom and clarity as we speak into situations in the lives of people around us. Help us to be able to speak out against injustice. God, help us to be able to take a stand for you so that you're glorified through this. God, just give us the words, give us the faith to accomplish all that you would have for us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.